Welcome. Glad to have you with us. We've got uh, Chuck Basie, a.k.a. Uh, Mr. Excitement. He is a former state legislator and Second Amendment supporter. We've got Dale Roberts on board with us, MoGunLaw.com. And Garson is in from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. Well worth the short ride, I'm telling you. Let's kick it off with the best Glocks. Seems to be one of the more ubiquitous firearms out there. And uh, Field and Stream did a story. They said the best Glocks of 2023 tested and reviewed. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to start this off with Garson because I'm curious to see if he has a favorite Glock. Garson, do you have a favorite Glock? Uh, yeah, hands down, the Shadow Systems uh, MR920. Uh, and what is it in particular you like about it? Uh, well, I have the Elite version, so it comes with like all the... The add-on features that I would have, you know, bought a Glock and then paid to upgrade or add on to that gun. And it comes that way pretty much exactly how I wanted it from so, from Shadow Systems. So right out of the box. Yeah, and I now own four versions of their guns. <laughs> four, four versions. Uh, that's great. Uh, and they're the only four firearms you have, and you've lost three of them. Uh, no, that's not In a not terrible boating accident. My, my plan is to own so many guns that the ATF has to hire trucking companies to come get them from me. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck has beat you to it, hasn't he, Rhonda? Be like Biden's uh, classified documents in well, four different locations. Yeah, so I, I saw a post. Some guy was like, yeah, I heard Biden was coming after my guns, so I just moved them up a flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> By the way, listeners, you have no idea that the, these guys uh, keep sending memes back and forth uh, via their cell phones. And, and some of them <laughs> I don't even think we can put on the air. Uh, but uh, some really amusing memes. Listen, uh, let me just uh, let me ask Dale. Do you do you have you've got Glocks, right? You've got a Glock. I have one. And my favorite Glock is the one that I own. Uh, it's uh, 34, which is a long slide, sort of a tactical version of the 17. Um, that was our tactical, practical model. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it isn't anything special. I keep saying I need to get the trigger replaced and, and uh, tune it up a little bit. But I haven't just because I, you know, I carry my 1911. I shoot my 1911. I just, you know, the Glock just kind of sits there. I shoot it once in a while, but. Give you $100 for it. <laughs> so yeah, you've got enough Glocks. Uh, Chuck, do you have a Glock? I do not. I I just simply have never um, chose to buy one. But and it's not a good time for me in in uh, my home environment because I <laughs> had a good night at the NRA banquet last week and and uh, a good night at the NRA banquet. Yeah, what did so. what did you get? Well, I won a, a nice shotgun and I purchased an, another rifle and. Um, my wife was puzzled about why I thought I needed that, but anyway, we made it Because he had that extra slot in the safe. <laughs> well, no, no. Now, he's already said, we were at that same dinner, and he's already said, now now I need to buy another safe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, you're, it can be hard to sneak that in the house. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Garson uh, brought in a very nice, I know we're not on the subject yet, but uh, man, he's got a nice rifle that I'm really intrigued by. Um. So, May I suggest that your wife listen to um, a best of Gary Nolan show and and not, and not listen to the rest of this program because uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> they say the best concealed carry Glock is the G43X MOS. Garson, 
Uh, oh, so for strictly speaking of Glock branded uh, Glock firearms and not their clones. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the top top three. Um, and I just I just maybe two days ago spoke to a CPD officer friend of mine who was saying the uh, Columbia Police Department just went to completely changed their handgun and they've now gone to the Glock forty five. Which is uh, which is not a forty five caliber, right? Sadly, right? Yes. <laughs> I really would love to have. I'd love to have a little conversation with the folks over at Glock about their nomenclature. It is so confusing. They, uh, they just go in order. It doesn't matter what it is. The, the next Glock that comes out will be whatever number is queued up and ready to go. All uh, right. Uh, then uh, there's another story here um, about the five most customizable guns on earth. And interestingly, uh, and I'll go to Dale on this because Dale and I both love uh, the, the uh, 1911. They say that's one of the most customizable guns on earth. Do you see that? Well, I don't normally. I mean, I understand it. I don't normally, you know, physically see it. But I will say, you know, in the past, I would always volunteer to as a range officer, and I'd go out and RO for the Bianchi Cup, and you'd see guns out there that have been so tricked out you could barely recognize, you know, the underlying gun. Um, so, I mean, I I see that it's a, it's a great platform to start with uh, if you have the budget. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that point of view. But, uh, you know, go out to the range any other day. I don't see 1911s that have been drastically customized or altered from outward appearance. Yeah, um, I, I don't see that either. But I still love the platform. Oh, you uh, should you should look at some of the auction sites. Um, oh yeah, you 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 browse through auction listings with 1911s, and every almost every one of them, unless it's some collectible, has has had some kind of modification. Um, it's just so easy to do. You know, whether adding a magwell or like another a really popular one is that uh, barrel bushing compensator. I see so many guns at auctions with those barrel bushing compensators on it. It's not even funny. Uh, they list the uh, Remington 870 shotgun as one of the most customizable. Um, December 2017, American Gun Association article called, uh, appropriately enough, the top five most customizable guns has this to say about the 870. The Remington 870 has the Warhammer rail uh, that goes all the way from one end to the other, and uh, one on each side. It has a flashlight, laser, red dot sight, backup, foldable front sight, ATI stock. All the accessories on these shotguns are from different manufacturers, which shows just how big the aftermarket accessories industry really is. Uh, they they uh, then go on. It, it's I don't know. It seems like it's a little bit out of order here. The rim, uh, the rimfire uh, rifle, the Ruger uh, ten twenty two. Anybody here have one of those? Uh, oh yeah, stuffed away. Oh, you bet. I do not. Uh, it apparently is uh, pretty customizable. Uh, and again, referring to that same article from the American Gunfire, if you were to only have one gun in your arsenal, this would be it. The gun allows the installation of folding stocks, collapsing stocks, barrel uh, shrouds, sights, rails, etc. 
you can easily spend $2,500 building out your 1022 and still have many more options to accessorize the firearm. Uh, and only then do they get down to the AR-15, uh, which I think is one of the most versatile rifles, uh, affordable rifles you can buy. Anybody disagree with that? No? Nope. All right. Um, I, I would think that's probably number one on the hit list. Wouldn't you, Garson? I mean, it's affordable. Lots of people have them. Uh, and there's everything and anything you can put on there, uh, save for maybe a flamethrower. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't as, be surprised. As far as rifles go, the AR is hands down the most customizable. But, um, yeah, the, the 1022, but I think before the AR took off, the 1022 was probably king of the hill as far as customizable rifles. When it comes to revolvers, and I'll go again to Garson, uh, the Smith & Wesson K&L frame series, the K and the L frame series, um, they say that is remarkably customizable. Uh, I mean, in the revolver class, any work you do to those, you can pretty much do to any revolver. Um, it's, you know, it's there's not really anything that you can't do to a Smith that you couldn't do to a Ruger or or a Taurus, so um, yeah, I don't I don't think that's really even necessary to bring up. Okay, um, let's. I'll tell you what, we're up against the clock. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Smith and Wesson revolver gun face off. Uh, the J frame versus the K frame versus the L frame versus the N frame versus the X frame. Huh? We'll go through it all. <laughs> Put Carson really to the test. I'm Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us uh, on Gary on Guns. Uh, we're going to just very quickly go over some uh, Smith & Wesson revolvers, which are really gaining in popularity, not necessarily just Smith & Wesson, but revolvers in, in particular. Uh, it, it seems like every week I'm seeing more and more stories about them. Um, so they, they've they got a variety of uh, frames uh, based on, I guess, size and, and caliber. Um, and kicking it off is the J-frame, the smaller uh, uh, revolver. Are, are these selling well? Do you guys get much of a call for this at Graf's, Garson? Yeah, J-frames, uh, little uh, five-shot revolvers. Um, there's, there's always a decent demand for them. Uh, the K-frame is kind of a medium size, uh, writes the author. Arguably uh, more so than other frame series, the K-frames are what truly makes Smith & Wesson's uh, a smashing success in the U.S. law enforcement and uh, armed private citizens market, uh, starting with the Smith & Wesson 38 uh, hand ejector model 1899, uh, now known as the Model 10, and progressing through the M13 model uh, 19, 357, and so forth. Um, it, it, anybody own one of these? K-frame? Yes. No? A couple. You do? And, and the KLN frames have been, you know, but before... You know, before 1990, uh, revolvers ruled law enforcement. Um, you know, there were semi-autos out there, but they were carried few and far between. You know, every cop carried a KL, KL or N-frame revolver issued by their department. So there's tons of these things out there. I, I've got a California um, Department of Corrections uh, K-frame 357. It's It's a slick gun. It's beat to high hell. It's car it was probably carried for 20, 30 years. So the Colt Trooper that the Missouri Highway Patrol carried for years 
kind of like a python. Is that a, would that be a K frame under? At yeah, it's about it's about the same as a KLN frame. Okay, it's that it's that standard duty size revolver. In that case, I do own a K frame gun, but Colt, not Smith and Wesson. An approximation of it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You see, the, you ever see those movies? Uh, they're older movies where uh, the cops of the fifties and sixties are carrying those thirty-eight uh, revolvers, and and think to yourself, man, are they under underarmed? Oh yeah, yeah, but those guys could shoot back then. You you think there were better shots? Yeah. So, oh yeah. So departments back then, most departments, you would have to qualify out to fifty yards, if not a hundred yards, at most departments. Wow. And that's not even considered today at any department that I know of. I think the, the Glock platform has sort of encouraged officers, some officers, to, to just spray and pray. You know, I've got 17 rounds. I'll, I'll hit something. Yeah. And I, I you know. But, I mean, that that's true for everybody, not just law enforcement. There's a lot of people. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, I, and, again, I know a lot of officers who are really, you know, marksmen, good, you know, handling their firearms. But generally, I think that's one of the, you know, results, but, the spinoff. Yeah. From the, get, get on YouTube and look up old footage of PPC matches, police pistol competition matches. And... Um, Amazing, amazing shots in those in those competitive circles. Well, I hadn't thought I, di I didn't realize that. That's impressive. Uh, they go on to talk about the L frame, uh, which you mentioned, Garson. It is uh, the medium to large uh, firearm, and uh, it, it it's you know pretty flexible. They they like that. The N frame is their large frame. Uh, and they've got an X frame that's an extra large frame. Uh, anybody have either of those? I've got again. It's not a Smith and Wesson. It's a Dan Wesson when he started his own thing. Uh, Dan Wesson three fifty seven. That I think is probably an N frame. Yeah, large. But, but the KLNs are are kind of very tightly grouped together. The X frame is like an order of magnitude beyond that. <laughs> Yeah, I had a, a a Dan Wesson 357 years and years ago, uh, and I I really liked it. it, 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 it there, there's nobody making that now, is there? Are there? Yeah, yeah Dan, uh, are they? Dan Wesson's still in business. They're owned by CZ, who also owns Colt, and they're still making um, still making firearms. And they just so that I had at one time two Dan Wessons, uh, 357 and a 44 Mag. And the 357, I think it's a Model 15, uh, Dan Wesson Corporation under CZ, maybe a year or two ago, announced they were going to start making those again. And I think by now they may be hitting the marketplace. There's a lot of excitement in the Dan Wesson community. If they have, they're getting gobbled up pretty fast because I've not, I've not physically seen one. But they are, they are supposedly out there. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. And if anybody will keep us surprised of all that, it would be Garson from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, there are a lot of stories for us to cover here this morning. A defense bill amendment uh, targets military gun owners. A federal judge uh, says that uh, most firearms can be banned without violating the Second Amendment. Uh, did I hear somebody laugh in the back? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Must have swallowed my coffee the wrong way. <laughs>
Oh, Lord. Uh, but uh, before we get to, to those, uh, there are several stories that Dale has been keeping his eye on uh, and wants to chat about, including uh, the pistol brace news. Uh, give us the latest update on this. This is such a bizarre thing. It's so stupid. I can't believe it's even an issue. Right. And Garson and I were talking about that earlier uh, before we went on the air. But for the listeners, the, the, uh, the, the main location for pistol brace litigation has been in the Fifth Circuit, uh, primarily Texas, Louisiana, I think. Uh, but the cases coming out of Texas, uh, a couple of judges have addressed pistol braces and have said, you know, under Bruin, we look and see in plain language, you know, was this banned or restricted when the Bill of Rights was passed? If not, you've got to have a good reason to do so now. And so several of those judges in the Fifth Circuit have said, based on that rationale from the Bruin case at the Supreme Court, uh, the pistol brace uh, restriction or prohibition is unconstitutional. And interestingly, uh, you know, one of the cases was brought by the Second Amendment Foundation, so the judge in that case issued a stay, said to the ATF, you cannot enforce the, the restriction or the prohibition as to any member of the Second Amendment Foundation. Just, not just the corporate entity, but all their members. And the same thing has applied to a couple other groups. Anyway, the, uh, the injunction made it up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals said, basically... We we think this is unconstitutional. We're sending it back for trial. The the injunction is going to stay in place. And I hadn't read the order yet. Garson, you said they gave him sixty days to settle it. Yeah, they gave him sixty days on was it Thursday or Friday? So we'll have some kind of answer in the next two months. Awesome. But will that just apply to uh, Gun Owners of America or the Second Amendment Foundation, or will that? I mean, be... once I think once there's a ruling made, I think that applies unilaterally and immediately thereafter. The ATF or Department of Justice will file an appeal, and the and the order that says the brace restriction is unconstitutional may or may not be stayed. We'll have to see how it plays out, but. You know, they're going to try and get it in front of the Supreme Court one way or the other. You know, it's it's trying that they keep doing this. It, it Just stop. I mean, come on. This is just stupid. Well, and that's the problem. They, they'll never stop. Never will. They never will. I know that from my experience in Jeff City. They will never give up. You know, and that's, that's the mistake that a lot of uh, people on the right make. Oh, we won. Let's go live our lives now. Yeah. Uh, and the left is going, all right, we didn't make it that way. Let's try something different. Uh, and while we're looking the other way, they're cooking up another scheme. All right. Uh, there is uh, more to chat about here, including some uh, school programs that have been defunded. We'll kick that around a little bit with the crew. I'm Gary and Guns. Welcome, glad to have you with us. Garson is in from Graf and Sons. It is in Mexico, Missouri. Well worth the ride. Uh, then we've got uh, former state representative Chuck Basie with us, and Dale Roberts is with us as well from MoGunLaw.com. And uh, before I get uh, get into this uh, next story about defunding uh, for some programs in schools, let me uh, let me uh, ask Chuck. 
Are you aware of any new anti-gun legislation that people are talking about that they're thinking of introducing? I know you still have In Missouri, uh, no, but pre-filing starts December 1st, and um, I'm sure that there's going to be the handful of uh, Democrats that file the red flag laws and, you know, bans on high-capacity magazines and things like that. So there's no, like, buzz about some unique idea. No, but I, I tell you what, I, I think I mentioned on the last show, I, I, I feel optimistic by for a lot of reasons about some pro-Second uh, Amendment uh, legislation being filed and hopefully passed because of the uh, upcoming election and a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the big-name players' leadership are running for uh, other offices, so they I think they want to get something in the resume that they can campaign on. So that's uh, it, it, I think it's a good could be a good year. Hopefully, uh, you, you don't suppose that uh, perhaps just maybe we'd be able to carry a firearm uh, on a bus. Well, that's that's one that that was one that could have passed last year, but uh, some Senate filibustering killed that at the end of the session. So, but yeah, I'm almost certain that'll be filed again. And there's a lot of good things put on that bill uh, too, as well. So hopefully that'll make it through this year. The, the part that worries me is the fact that evidently now there are people doing a uh, petition drive for a constitutional amendment in Missouri to get that on the ballot. An amendment which would say any municipality, county, local government in Missouri has the right to make up their own gun laws. And of course, we've seen how constitutional amendments can be passed by votes out of Kansas City and St. Louis where the rest of the state, you know, there are enough voters in the rest of the state, and that worries me. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the mayor of Kansas City wants to enact his own uh, gun laws for the city. Yes. Which would be in violation of, uh, of, the, uh, of state law. And that hasn't stopped him. Right. Yeah, the previous mayor had the same thing. Uh, Sly James, I think was his name, who was an ex-Marine, by the way. Um, and, you know, like you said, Gary, the, the sitting mayor is um, also um, on record supporting that as well. And I just can't believe the entirety of the party supports some of these measures. I mean, you know, we we've, we no longer have a Harold Volkmer, Democrat, U.S. congressman, who was a strong Second Amendment person, but I, there have to be their party can't be, you know, hundred percent on board with this. I I can't imagine. Well, the mayor of St. Louis just a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. Uh, as much as admitted that strict gun control it doesn't do anything. Yep. <laughs> I guess it's all about pandering for votes. Uh, Dale, I touched on this last week. But apparently, there is some defunding going on for hunting and archery programs in some schools. What, what, what is this about? What are they doing? Yes, um, as sort of as a follow-up to last week, um, the Biden administration interprets a federal law on school funding to say, well, we can't have, uh, we can't teach students anything about weapons, archery or firearms. Um, And therefore, any school that teaches that will not receive certain federal funding. And of course, archery has been in the schools, I think, for a long time. It's the state, the official state sport in Missouri. Um, 
in any event, it, the Biden administration is wanting to cut funding to schools that teach uh, these disciplines. And the interesting thing is, I think this has happened since you covered it last week, uh, a number of members of Congress have come out to oppose the Biden administration's you know, efforts in this regard. And a number of those people are, the, are Democrats, which I was just saying a moment ago, where are they? And in this case, here they are. Um, and, you know, it, it, there's even the article that I think was in Forbes where they cite, you know, medical studies that show some of these programs, like the archery program, for example, where students learned, uh, you know, to be more secure in their activities and gain confidence in things helps their mental health, which I think is a good thing. Um, but the Biden administration is trying to stop that from happening and defunding, excuse me, defunding schools that have hunting and archery programs. And again, Hunter Ed is a is almost entirely a safety program, but it has to do with firearms at some level. Well, they got rid of driver's ed, and look how people drive nowadays. <laughs> Did they get rid of driver's ed? They, they didn't have it when I went to high school. Well, yeah, but then, you know, everybody knew how to drive a Model T. I, th I think it's an elective in some schools, but I know I don't think they offer it in Columbia, in Columbia Public Schools. That's uh, they need to make that mandatory now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Lord, I don't know how we got there, but we did. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, federal judge rejects Second Amendment of holds Connecticut's assault weapons magazine ban. How do they, what is the logic here? You're the attorney in the crowd, Dale. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know if there's logic or if it's just twisted logic. Uh, again, you know, the Supreme Court in the Bruin case said it has to have been a provision that was in place uh, when the Bill of Rights was passed. And somehow, you know, judges can say, that, will say, well, uh, you know, we didn't have guns at that time that held more than 10 rounds. Therefore, we can do this restriction. That's not true. But, well, A, in many cases, that's not true. I think they had the, gun. Gun. the puckle gun. Yeah. So, A, that's not entirely true. And, B, you know, that logic would say, well, we didn't have the Internet then. So, you know, we didn't have broadcast journalism. Regulations change with the times or or, you know, the law adapts to the changes. But there are judges who, again, as with, you know, the mayor of Kansas City or St. Louis, uh, I think have a position that they strain to support. And that's where we get these decisions. There's another one. Uh, I know you know about it, Gary. The uh, federal judge upheld a prohibition on modern sporting rifles, the AR platform. And, you know, the part of the logic is, well, a firearm has to have been in common use for us to accept it and recognize it. And that judge has said, ARs are not in common use. Ain't nothing more common use than that. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you. I know. What, I mean, there, I think the, you know, I think industry says there are 20, over 24 million ARs, uh, AR platform rifles in America. But this judge has said, yeah, but they're not in common use. I can't explain it any more than that. I, I mean, I can't explain it, period. I wish I could. 
Well, you're an attorney. They're attorneys. You should be able to speak their language. <laughs> I think we should hold him accountable. Dale is responsible for this. Yeah. Well, Gary, now you know what I've often said. There are only a few bad attorneys out there who ruin it for the other 2% of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do the math. Oh, Lord. Uh, all right. And now, now this next one it, it is so incredibly hard to believe. But apparently, uh, Congressman uh, Davis uh, has introduced legislation to require ammo to be engraved? Well, yeah, I think, isn't this a good idea? If you put a serial number on each bullet, then at a crime scene, you get that serial number, uh, go to the manufacturer, get their records of what distributor they sent it to, go to the distributor, find out what store they sold it to, Go to the store, find out what person they sold it to, and track that ammunition down. The, the owner of that ammunition will solve crimes. What if they're no. using... What? I said no. Well, I, I find it a little uh, hard to believe that that could possibly work. Exactly. I, I mean, just the technology of trying to engrave or stamp somehow a serial number onto ammunition... And have that serial number survive, you know, be intact and able to be read through the process of being handled, chambered, fired, you know, you name it. Yeah. Didn't, if didn't you remember, New York... I'm sorry? Go ahead, Garson. If you remember, Maryland and New York had a fired casing collection database. Yes. So every time you bought a new gun, fired cases had to be submitted to uh, the state for, for record-keeping... And they spent millions of dollars. I want to say Maryland, Maryland spent $60 million on this over the course of the years before they finally gave up because they solved zero crimes with this database. Yeah, I, when I lived in New York, when I moved up to New York, uh, a good friend of mine and a great police officer uh, who uh, subsequently was the uh, chief of police in Phoenix, New York, uh, Rod Carr, uh, said, uh, if you just give me the gun, I'll go ahead and test it for you. And I said, no, Rod, I think I'm just going to keep it quietly and, and not go through all that. <laughs> but but they wanted, the state of New York wanted to do that. And didn't the state of New York also do something like micro-stamping? They tried to uh, micro-stamp guns so I that... I thought it was California, but I wouldn't, I'm sure there were several a, states. New York has a law that says as soon as a commercially viable single-use operator gun is available. So some kind of technology to control the ability of the user of the gun or uh, somebody who's not the owner or user of the gun to manipulate or use that gun. Um, those are the only guns that will be available for sale in New York as soon as a commercially viable product is available. Well, there's a, a, an outfit, uh, I think, from Arizona... Uh, that says they've developed a smart gun and it uses fingerprint and facial recognition, uh, which I don't think in an emergency is something I want to trust my life I, to. I've been looking for a new boat anchor. <laughs> be a small boat. Um, uh, they'll, they'll probably be super cheap, so I could probably buy like four or five of them and tie them to the same rope. Well, no, no, I don't think they'll be super cheap, no. Uh, but anybody who's ever had a smartphone that used the facial rec or the fingerprint thing uh, knows that it usually works, but it doesn't always work. Yeah, the, the triggers on my guns already have a fingerprint recognition 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Up against the clock, we got to take a quick break. We're going to come back. You are listening to Gary on Gum. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we've got uh, State Representative Chuck, Re- Chuck Basie, former State Representative, Second Amendment supporter, friend of the program. Always glad to have him on board. Uh, we've got uh, Garson in from Graphs, our sponsor this week. And uh, then we've got Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com, U.S. sued over traditional ammunition in West Virginia National Wildlife Reserve. Another story that Dale's been watching. You know, if you can't use lead, Dale, uh, gold is another soft metal. You could uh, you could do that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. But, you know, and, and here's a case where I think uh, a lot of more liberal Folks are filing lawsuit against Biden uh, because the the I'm not, I can't remember what federal department that is you know National Wildlife or Conservation, but officials in West Virginia argued that the restrictions on uh, ammunition in hunt you know certain wildlife federal hunting areas preserves would be detrimental, and you know the the groups bringing the suit are suggesting. That uh, you know, using these this ammunition in these areas hurts wildlife, and I think one of the things they argued was that you know, look at the you know the risk of hurting the America the bald eagle our eagles, and the funny thing about that is, um, and it's a suit against sorry, it's a suit against U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but the funny thing about you know claiming it's going to hurt the eagles is that in just 2021. Uh, Interior Secretary of the U.S., uh, you know, Richard issued a presser stating that uh, today, uh, an event that day was a truly historical conservation success story. The recovery of the bald ego, eagle is one of the most well-known uh, conservation success stories of all time. So the eagle's back. They're doing quite well. The ammunition doesn't seem to be bothering them. But, uh, you know, the Sierra Club and some other groups are saying, well, we have to stop it anyway, even if it's not doing any harm. We have to stop it anyway, even though it is not doing any harm. Does that even make sense? Why? (laughs) Well, uh, right. And, I mean, I get, you know, the ban on lead ammunition in waterways, you know, trying to keep lead out of the water, you know, out of the reservoirs, out of the water table. Uh, I understand that, and it's been done. Um, but, you know, this is a solution, I think, without a problem that they're going... And I, and I think it's just another way to restrict uh, firearms, firearms owners, and hunting. And if it went into effect, that the cost would be phenomenal. Well, once again, uh, guys, it is attorneys... That are bringing these suits. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, we got to go. We, what, what was that? What is that quote? Uh, hang the attorneys first, or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Yes. What uh, do you call a hundred attorneys at the bottom of the ocean? A good start. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. There we go. Yeah, we're we're going after you, Dale. You yeah. know, when I when I was working as a judge, I you know met somebody who introduced me to a coworker, and he started telling an attorney joke, and I said, attorney jokes don't bother me anymore because I'm working as a judge <laughs> and without without missing a beat, the guy said did you hear the one about the two gay judges? <laughs> no, they tried each other. So, uh, oh, sorry. 
Okay. <laughs> to add that to your repertoire of attorney and now judge jokes. <laughs> yeah, back oh, to guns. Are, we are going to be in so much trouble. Uh, all right, let's <laughs> let's move on because uh, apparently Europeans are calling for fewer gun laws. Uh, the story is at bearing arms. We have too many gun laws on the books. Most gun rights advocates know this and will happily tell anyone who will listen that this is indeed so. Yet gun control advocates think there aren't enough. They often point to Europe and note the laws there. Uh, those are really effective. Uh, they want similar restrictions and think it's uh, some grand travesty that we haven't followed the European lead on gun laws. This is uh, Tom Knighton over at Bearing Arms. The thing is, a lot of Europeans want a system uh, a little more like ours. Uh, and and uh, I can understand this. Civilian gun ownership can make authoritarian drifts very difficult because it gives people the ability to resist. Uh, so says uh, Andrea Favaro um, uh, from uh, Euronews. Uh, he is uh, part of uh, Firearms United, a pan-European firearms lobby that claims to bring together more than 100 million law-abiding gun owners in the region. It's a movement which wants to loosen gun control laws in Europe, bringing them uh, de facto more in line with U.S. gun laws. What's interesting here is the observation civilian gun ownership can make authoritarian drifts very difficult because it gives the people the ability to resist. Uh, Chuck, isn't that exactly why the Founding Fathers gave us the Second Amendment? I would say so, yeah. I mean, that makes, was precisely the point, right? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So. Uh, if, if you've... Right now, in this country, we fear the government. But what the Founding Fathers wanted was the government to fear us. Absolutely. We, they got it backwards... Telling you. We got show and tell coming up, and it's going to be neat. Hungarian guns.